are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? This story is set far from where much of the familiar action of the Gospels has been taking place. It's a solid two days walk north of the Sea of Galilee, and a good 120 miles north of Jerusalem. As Matthew and Mark both tell this story, it would seem that Jesus has drawn his disciples far away from the more familiar Galilean landscape. North, first of all, as far as Tyre and Sidon, where he'd encountered that very persistent Canaanite woman in the reading from last week. And now to Caesarea Philippi. This may have been for the sake of some respite, a little bit of rest. For while he will still be recognized in those outlying regions, he's not as likely to be crushed by the needs of the crowds. And so it's there that he turns and asks this question of the disciples. What do the people say that I am? Oh, you know, some say John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, perhaps Jeremiah or one of the other prophets which means that word has gone out that Jesus is being thought of as someone who has come back from the dead. John the Baptist has just been killed by Herod a few chapters earlier. He's come back from the dead to offer this ministry. It reflects a desperate hopefulness on the part of the people, a people who believed that the only way they'd possibly be freed from the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire was to have God send them a prophet. Jesus pauses, and then he says, But who do you say that I am? Now it's just to the twelve disciples. Who do you say that I am? Of course, it's Simon Peter who jumps up with a response. Typical Simon Peter we meet all the way through the gospel accounts. The first to answer, the first to jump, the first to try, and one of the first to fail. You are the Messiah, he says, son of the living God. It's almost as if Simon Peter has been holding this in his heart, not quite daring to say it out loud. Let me give you Jesus' response. In the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson in The Message, which I think brings a really helpful earthiness to the passage. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter. A rock. 
This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of Hades will be able to keep it out. Simon, from now on, you're going to bear the name of Peter, in Greek, Petros, which literally means the rock. Because that nickname says something about your whole future, your whole self. You are a rock, my friend. And on this rock, I'm going to build my people, my ecclesia. And even the gates of Hades, of death itself, will not be able to stop it. Now, it's impossible to know how Simon Peter might have been receiving all of this. What he did with the sense that somehow he, Peter, the fisherman, was to hold some high authority that somehow extended to the very heavens. You can imagine he might have been a bit confused, maybe overwhelmed, puffed up a bit with pride perhaps, or just shaking his head at the idea that he would somehow inherit this authority and responsibility. And no sooner have these words been spoken then comes Jesus saying, don't tell anyone that I'm Messiah. And why? Well, perhaps because Jesus knew that his reputation was already sweeping people up and that those things couldn't begin to deal rightly with this idea that he was the Messiah, the one anointed by God for the sake of Israel. Maybe he knew it would just all spin out of control. So best just to caution his closest circle of followers to hold this revelation closely and quietly, which they do. But Peter seems to have some sense, maybe a little bit puffed up, that he now holds a very special role in the movement. And in the section that follows, the section that will appear in next Sunday's Gospel, Peter even tries to correct Jesus when Jesus begins to talk about the prospect of suffering and death. God forbid it, Lord, this will never happen to you. Which leads Jesus to call Peter at Satan, an adversary. Get your thinking off of all your human assumptions, Jesus is saying to Peter and mold your thoughts around how God is working in this world. In other words, Jesus' message to Peter shifts very quickly from, you're solid as a rock, my brother, to stop thinking like an enemy of the truth, like an adversary. So really, what is the force of what Jesus said to Simon Peter that day? when he fixed him firmly with the name Petros. In the words of Stanley Hauerwas, it is not Peter's task to make the church safe and secure or to try to ensure its existence, which is what Peter was trying to do when he upbraided Jesus for talking about his suffering and death, right? At that moment, what he wanted was a properly victorious Messiah and an equally victorious church. But no. Howard continues, 
It is Peter's task to keep the church true to its mission, which is to witness to the Messiah. The keys which have been entrusted to Peter are the keys given to the church through which the church is made vulnerable to God's judgment. Peter does not stand apart from the disciples, nor does he stand apart from the church. Rather, Peter stands within the church, charged with keeping it true to its witness to Jesus. That, I think, brings us to consider what St. Paul writes in his letters to the various churches. We are one body in Christ, he writes in today's passage to the Roman Christians. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, he writes in 1 Corinthians. And this image of us being Christ's body in the world by grace is an extraordinary one. It's also the only image that might keep the church true to its witness to Jesus. So let me read to you again just a few verses from today's epistle. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering. The teacher in teaching. The exhorter in exhortation. The giver in generosity. The leader in diligence. The compassionate in cheerfulness. It's actually the last one in that list that I love. To be compassionate is to be cheerful. And isn't that lovely? Different gifts, but all of them necessary for the sake of the whole. That's what makes the church the church. As opposed to being a club of like-minded people who all march to the beat of the same drummer and agree on everything. The church can never be like that, because we are meant to be a body consisting of diverse parts all working together. And so we need the pounding heart that was Peter, but also the highly tuned mind of St. Paul, the tender hands of Mary Magdalene, and the tough feet of the one who goes the extra mile. All of them are needed. All those other parts of the body that many of us don't really know what they do. The spleen, and I've said this before, the spleen is the one that most stymies me. Not a clue what a spleen does, but somebody here is called to be like a spleen for the sake of the whole community. All the pieces are important. Without those parts, the heart and the mind and the hands and the feet will fail. We are the body of Christ, and every single part here is needed. Every part.
So, to those who are standing tonight to be baptized, or to be confirmed, or to be received into the Anglican Communion, I want to say first to the six of you that we need you. We need you. In order for us to keep doing what we do, each and every one of you are critical. So welcome tonight in a, in a, in a liturgical way, and welcome tomorrow morning with your feet on the ground. Secondly, I just ask you to ponder what it is that you bring to the body that keeps us all moving and limber. What might your gift be as somebody to be baptized or confirmed or received tonight? Because I tell you right now, you do have something that you bring. We're meant to be a people on the move. And in your being with us, you are part of making that happen. So make it happen, you six and all of you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.